So we're in lesson 12 of the book of Romans. And Paul has been speaking of the promise of the covenants and how the promise of these covenants is unconditional. How Abraham did nothing to inherit the promise. All he did was believe it. And I thought maybe we'd cover this again quickly because I say that because last week I saw some kind of confused looks out there. So I thought maybe I'd just quickly go over this one more time. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants, plural, of the promise, singular. And we said that there was an unconditional promise woven into the covenants, which made it necessary for the covenants with Noah, Abraham, David, to contain this unconditional promise. As a quick review, the promise was first given to Adam. The promise was that he would send the seed of the woman and he would crush the head of the enemy of God, the serpent, with the intent, of course, of restoring man. Then we see God make an unconditional promise with Noah and to every living thing that he would never again destroy the earth with water. Because when the earth will again be corrupt, and it will, and it is, God will see the Messiah. He's the bow, and God will see him coming on the clouds of heaven and will not destroy every living thing again. Then we see him make an unconditional promise to Abraham. He promises him a son, and he promises him that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. He tells him he will inherit the world to come. And again, all of this is unconditional. It's an unconditional promise. Even at Sinai, when God makes covenant with Israel and gives them the law, the Torah, and all the commandments, we see that he also makes an unconditional promise. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18. At the time of the Sinai covenant, He says he's going to send a prophet like Moses, who we all know is Messiah. And Israel had to do nothing for this promise. And it doesn't stop there. Then he gives an unconditional promise to David that he would never fail to have a son sit on the throne. And then we saw that the promise is fulfilled in the life and the death of Messiah to all who believe the promise. Now the point I wanted to make is that after the unconditional promise was given to Adam and Eve that there was one who would come and redeem creation from the hand of the adversary, then God had to continue to make that promise unconditional. He continues to add to the promise, to the understanding of the promise, but it's always unconditional. When he made the covenant with Abraham, he could not make that promise conditional because his promise cannot fail. And if Abraham failed to meet the conditions, then God would retract the promise and the promise would fail. And so also added conditions would make it no longer just a promise. Let me give you an example. If when my son was 12 years old, 
I promised him a car on his 18th birthday. I'm going to give you this car on your 18th birthday, no strings attached. And I didn't say it up there either. (laughs) And now, later, my son is 14 years old. And I say to him, your grades are terrible. And I'm not going to give you this car unless you pick up your grades. Then I've broken my promise in two ways. First, I put conditions on the promise where there were none. So that the promise is no longer a gift, but it's a conditional and it's a reward for his behavior. Second, I have taken that promise out of my own hands. And I placed it in his. Because if he fails, then I would have to break the original promise. You see what I'm saying? In the same way, the unconditional promise of God that's woven into the covenants must always remain unconditional because if God puts a condition on the promise so that man must meet certain conditions, then when man failed to meet the conditions, the promise would fail and it cannot fail because God's promises don't fail. That promise to Adam of a Redeemer and then confirmed to Noah was to all mankind. Then the promise expanded upon to Abraham was to all mankind. Through you, all nations will be blessed. Therefore, the promise to the individuals of the nations must also be unconditional because if the nations fail to meet the conditions, then the promise to Abraham would fail. And God says, all you have to do To inherit that promise is believe the promise. By believing in the promised one and in the promise, you inherit the promise. If you listen to the words of Eve, if you really read the words of Eve and you listen to the words of Eve, she believed the promise of God. God told Adam, Hava, Eve, the serpent, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the adversary. And so after giving birth, she says this. She says, And the man knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have begotten a man by Jehovah. I think the text is quite clear that Eve thought that she was the woman that God referred to. And she had just given birth to the one who would fulfill the promise. Of course, we know. And she came to find out that that she would not be the woman whose seed would crush the head. But understand, to each of those God confirms this promise to, they believe the promise. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he wouldn't inherit the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so what you see Paul saying here is because you have to understand this major point if you're going to understand the rest of his letter. Abraham received the promise before his circumcision, It was an unconditional promise that he and his seed would inherit the world to come. 
also that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him as well. If this continuation of the promise had been conditional upon keeping the law, then the promise would have failed. It would have been worthless because the law brings wrath. The law points to your transgressions and brings about death, which is opposite of the world to come. Even if you could keep the law, it would still render the promise worthless because you wouldn't need the promise. You did it on your own. You didn't need the promise. You earned it. It would no longer be a gift. Of course, you can't because, as Paul says, the law brings wrath. It shows your guilt. You know, the law is good. It's pure and it's holy. It tells us God's standards. It tells us if we are to please God, we have to love him with all of our hearts and we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. But it even does more than that. It tells us in detail how to accomplish those things. It tells us don't steal from your brother. How can that be loving your brother as yourself? Would you steal from yourself? It says, don't commit adultery with your brother's wife. Those are examples. So the law is good and pure. But only if you can keep it and not fail at any point. Because at the point you fail, then the law says you're guilty and brings about wrath. And that's why Paul will say this in chapter 7, in verse 12. He says the same thing. He says, so... The law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Paul tells us that the law is holy and it's good. It shows us how God would have us live it is a guide to the good life we could say it's a guide to the good life but it also consigns the guilty those who don't use the guide or fail to keep its principles to death it's also good because it reveals the promise that we've been talking about It shows that you need redemption. It reveals the one who can redeem you if you believe. And once that redemption occurs, you are and you are again restored into God's presence. Then it will lead you to do the good of the Torah. It will lead you and aid you in fulfilling the law of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, He says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're going to know that verse by heart by the time we get done here. And you should know it by heart. You will know this verse by heart by the time we finish this Because you have been saved by grace through faith in the promise of God that we've been talking about. It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You are God's workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Where do you find those good works? Or we could say good deeds. Well, they were given to you in advance through the Torah. 
the law. Good deeds are not something nebulous that you have to wonder about. If you ask one of those who believe that the Torah is no longer valid, if you ask them, what are these good deeds that God prepared in advance for us to do? They may stand there looking at you a bit bewildered. Or if they're wise, they will say to you, well, keep the words of Yeshua. And I agree with keeping the words of Yeshua. The problem is, Yeshua's words illuminate Torah. If you take the Torah away, you're left with no understanding of good deeds. Because that is where you find what is good, pure, and holy. And again, it's not something nebulous that you have to search for. Not something that you have to wonder about. And God told us that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, he says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor it is beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No! The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Accept the promise. And Yeshua, who is the word made flesh, is near you. He's in your heart. And if he's in your heart, he'll be in your mouth. And if he's in your mouth and your heart, he'll be in your actions. These good deeds are not so far away. They were given to you in the Torah and made clear to you through the life and Yeshua abiding within you. So here's the deal. Every mother's son, how many is that? Every mother's son has fallen short of God's glory and his righteous standards. We're all sons of sinful Adam. So the only way to erase those sins is to believe the promise that he gave to Adam. And the promise is this. There's one coming who will crush the head of the serpent, as he told Adam. And he will be the lamb that God provided, as he told Abraham. As Abraham told his son. And he will be a blessing to all mankind, as he promised Abraham. And he will be the one who will reign on the throne of David forever. And there's nothing that you can do or not do to stop the promise. However, if you believe the promise and the one it prophesies, you can be one who's included in the promise. So then he says in verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God to whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Notice again, the promise is unconditional, received by faith, given through grace. Why? So that it can be guaranteed. It cannot fail. Guaranteed because there's no strings attached. 
It's guaranteed because the promise was made to Adam's offspring, who is every mother's son or father or whatever. We're all sons of Adam, right? It was given to Noah's offspring. We're all sons of Noah. And the unconditional promise to and through Abraham that he was the father of many nations. Are we of the nations? You from the many nations are children of Abraham through your belief in the promise. Notice what he says to Abraham. Not I will make you the father of many nations if you do this. He says, I have, have made you the father of many nations. It's a done deal. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 17, well before he's circumcised, before, even before the son who will carry on the promise, in whose loins will carry the redeemer that's spoken of in the promise, is even born. He says, not I will make you, but I have made you. Done deal. So that he could be the father of all who believed. Abraham believed the promise and that's all that's required. Just believe the promise. In God's eyes, if we believe the promise, then we're sons of Abraham because we have the same faith. We're like him, so to speak. As I said last week, we're chips off the old block. We're chips off Abraham's faith block, so to speak. So here's the deal. God says to Abraham, he says, he says, Abe, you know, that Stephen Drizzy, he's a chip off the old block. (laughs) He believes in my Messiah like you, and I'm going to give him life. You see, because of that faith, just as he called Messiah to life and just as he called Abraham to be with him in the world to come, he gives life to the dead and calls things to life and will call all the chips off the old block to life as well. We're sons of Abraham through faith. To be his son, you must be of the faith of Abraham. You have to believe That's why Yeshua says this when he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says this. They say, Abraham is our father. He says, if you were Abraham's children, Yeshua said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. He says, if you are Abraham's children, you would do the things Abraham does. He says, hey, you guys aren't exactly chips off the old block. And to show them that's exactly what he means, then a little bit later in the chapter, verse 56, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He's saying, if you were children of Abraham, you'd be rejoicing. At my being here. But since you don't rejoice, you're the sons of the one who didn't want to see me come. So then he says in verse 17, He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were against all hope. Abraham 
in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And so what does he do to for proof that God brings life from the dead? Again, he uses Abraham and he uses Sarah's womb. Her womb was dead. At least I've never heard of a woman giving birth at 90. Other than Sarah. And yet, miracle of miracles, she gives birth to a son just as God has promised. You know, that's almost as great a miracle as a virgin giving birth to a son. Oh, but then God did that to keep his promise as well. And notice it says, because of the birth of Isaac, he became the father of many nations. Let's, let's look at what else is said in the matter. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 11, it says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy uh, and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I will make the son of your maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. God is telling Abraham, when God says, you will be the father of many nations, he wants us to understand that it is through Isaac that this is going to happen. That this will be reckoned. It is through the Messiah, Yeshua, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, that many nations will be blessed, will be numbered. You see, it's not the physical England and France that he's the nations of. He's the father of the nations who are from those nations, and have his faith. I think we all know that, right? So verse 19, he says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Not only was Sarah's womb dead, he was as good as dead as well. And yet, Even though Sarah was beyond childbearing and her womb was dead, Abraham's faith was not weakened. In other words, in his trust in God and his belief of what God had promised remained strong, he did not falter. Then it says in verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you see what Paul says? It is through his unwavering in the promise of God, this promise that was so unbelievable, life from a dead womb, it's unbelievable. Ask anybody. It just isn't going to happen. It would be enough to cause anyone not to believe. But the fact is, it was the unbelievability of the promise. This unbelievability of the promise had an opposite effect with Abraham. It didn't cause him to doubt. It caused him to be strengthened in his faith and give glory to God. Abraham's faith actually grew 
because he trusted God to bring about the impossible, to bring about the impossible, not because he did it, but just because he said he would. He will show this trust again in the offering of Isaac. Even though God had asked him to kill his son, he remembered the promise that God said, it's through Isaac that your offspring are going to be reckoned. The offspring that will make him the father of many nations will come through Isaac. So he knew, Abraham knew, that God would bring about the promise. He would raise his son from the dead. He also reasoned that it would be God himself who would provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He told his son that on the way up the mountain. All of those things God did. He provided a lamb to keep his promise to Abraham, to Adam, to Noah. He raised him from the dead to keep the promise. Now, I want to tell you, that's what it means to believe. That's what it means to believe God. When Paul says this in verse 11, if we back up to verse 11, he said, so then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And then later in chapter 10, when he says this, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) You know, he wants us to know that if we believe like Abraham, if we have the faith of Abraham, then Abraham is our father. If we believe like Abraham, our faith will continually grow and be strengthened. No matter what the circumstances. And I want you to see that when Paul says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, in order to understand what Paul means, you have to understand what believe meant to Paul. If you want to understand the way Paul did, what he meant by that word, you don't want to go to Webster's Dictionary and look up the word believe. You don't want to do that. You don't even want to go to Strong's Dictionary for the Greek word that was used for believe. They don't cut the mustard. So where do you go to understand the word believe? Well, I have an old saying. Scripture defines Scripture. We need to look at how he described Abraham because when Paul used the Greek word here, pissed you, because it was the closest word he could get to what what he meant to say, It is really the life of Abraham that truly defines the word for us. And he went way out of his way in this letter to describe what believe really means. And it's the only true definition. The life of the one who was counted as righteousness because he believed. So you have to look at his life. So where do we go to understand the word? We need to look at how he described Abraham. It means this, that you take hold of this promise of God that's woven throughout the word and into each and every covenant and believe it without wavering in that belief. 
You believe the promise to Adam that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the virgin will be with child and you do not waver. It means when people try to tell you that Yeshua really wasn't the actual son of God, that's impossible. Or that he really wasn't divine. That's not possible because how could the divine die? Or they say to you, do you know that throughout paganism there are gods who were born of virgins and they were the sons of gods? Yeshua being the son of God is paganism that's worked its way into Christianity. You do not waver from scripture. That Yeshua is God's son declared from God's own mouth. When they say this story of Yeshua being the son of God or that Yeshua was with God in the beginning and appeared to Abraham and to Jacob is just a fabrication of the church. Doesn't cause you to doubt. But all of this actually strengthens your faith. None of that weakens your trust in the promise of God to Adam, but it strengthens your faith. The lies actually strengthen you. It means you do not waver. Those words have no effect on you because you believe God and nothing else. Your experience with God trumps the lies of the world. Let me tell you something. When someone says to me, Yeshua was just a man... I just smile inwardly and I think back to the night I was standing in the field and cried out to Jesus, I need your help and I woke up the next morning healed and I laugh and I said, could man do that? You see, it strengthens me because I know that I know that what they said is a lie. It means you believe the words Adam told his son that God himself will provide a lamb and you don't waver in it. It means that no matter what you hear in life, you, like Abraham, reason that God could raise the dead in order to fulfill the promise. And you are unwavering in the fact that God did raise his son, who was also the son of Abraham, to life. To fulfill the promise to Abraham that Abraham would be the father of many nations. You believe God above all else and you become one of those many nations. Part of the promise. It means no matter what else happens, you believe that he raised the son of David to life from the dead to fulfill the promise to David that he will have a son on his throne forever. You believe the words of Daniel. Listen to the words of Daniel. This happened after Yeshua's resurrection. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was the one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and every and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You believe the promise above all else, And even though everything in life tells you that these things are impossible, it's actually the impossibility of those things that strengthens your faith. The impossibility that God could raise Yeshua from the dead and that he's about to return to rule strengthens your faith even though that part of it hasn't even happened. But you believe because God spoke it and it's a done deal and you believe the done deal. Your faith is strengthened because 
It is impossible. But you know that the impossible is possible with God. You believe that God raised his son and the son of Abraham and the son of David to eternal life to keep his promise, not just to Abraham, but his promise to all of mankind. Remember what the adversary said to Eve. Remember what he said? He said, did God really say? Did God really say? And then it caused her to doubt. Well, the adversary will come to you as he did to Hava, and he will say, did God really say I forgive your, all your sins? All of your sins? I don't think he would have said that. He was just speaking to those people with a few sins. You have so many terrible sins. You're so bad, and the things that you've done are so terrible that God could never forgive all of that. But instead of crumbling into a heap, You say, get behind me, Satan, because I believe every word of God. To believe means nothing of this world is of import to you except the words of God spoken in this world. And each time someone or something tears at the fabric of those words or his promise, it has an opposite effect on you because you believe God. You see right through the ruse because it's the same ruse perpetrated on Eve. But unlike Eve, you believe God. That's why Paul says in verse 23, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Yeshua our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Here's the thing we need to be asking ourselves, friends. We need to be asking ourselves, do we believe like Abraham? I can tell you this, the adversary of God has one task Only one task in this world, and that's to bring about doubt in your life. To tear at the fabric of your faith and belief in God. And if he can get you to doubt, then he's done his job. And you've lost out of a portion, at least, of the promise. He doesn't care about Joe Unbeliever. He's already succeeded in his life. He doesn't care about him. He cares about causing you to doubt. And he does it the same way as he did with Eve. He's not original, folks. He he doesn't create a thing. He said to Eve, did God really say you you must not eat from the tree of life in the garden? She doubted. She ate. And he will say to you, did God really say I forgive? But unlike Eve, if you have Yeshua abiding within you, then you know. God really did say, I forgive, and you will stand firm. And not just that, but as Ephesians says, you read the words of Ephesians and you'll go out and do good works. You'll look for good works to do. When God asks you to do the things like he did Abraham, you won't hesitate. Like Abraham didn't hesitate, but you'll run to do what he asks you to do because you're a chip off the old block. Amen? Amen.